0: Welcome to our podcast entitled Last Ones at the Bar. We're here to talk about all of the important affairs this week in the sport of boxing. My name is Wilton Henry, and I'm accompanied by Lavelle Jackson. Danny is going to be out this week, but we got a lot of topics to discuss today. Um, Several different recaps of the big event this past weekend, and then also a few upcoming fights that we're going to predict. Um there i got a quick question for you just to lighten the load a little bit um this past weekend i had an opportunity to check out that dave chappelle special that he came out with um i just wanted to ask you had you had have you had the opportunity to check
1: that out yet yeah yeah i checked it out uh yesterday um it it was it was interesting i mean dave chappelle uh as a comedian he's top notch um this last one i I got the message more than I got the comedy. It, I mean, it was still funny, but it wasn't as funny, you know. Uh, but I, I got it, you know. I I got it for a particular reason uh, as a black man, you know. So, uh, I, I don't know. I know he's causing a lot of controversy, but comedians, it's just jokes, you know. Uh, okay. Yeah, yeah. He
0: took the sting off a lot of the you know that the, the cancel culture, you know that we are seeing. you know, based on people and their comments towards certain groups where those groups are pretty much off limits, you know. Um, and when you say certain things, even when it's not even a malicious way, you know, you can be canceled, you know, and as far other egregious things that people do that they're not canceled for. And so he touched on that. To me, I thought the special was a classic. You know, he had me laughing um, just based on the truthful nature of what he was talking about. But, um, you know, since I, I think it's a classic, you know, and speaking of classics, yesterday you had that big event with the bronze bomber, Deontay Wilder versus the Gypsy King. You know, like I said, I consider that another classic, you know, that I saw because I checked the Dave Chappelle special out yesterday as well, so I felt felt like I saw two specials in one night. What did you think about um, Beyoncé Wilder versus Tyson Fury on um, their bout?
1: Sure, sure. Before we get to that, uh, I have a, uh, you know, a question and a comment also. Um, you know, I was having a conversation with someone that, where they were asking me, you know, about my interests, like, what am I into in my, you know, in my daily life? So I, I talked about you know this podcast, last week at the bar, that we have, and, and describe what we do. It's like you know, we're just three guys who are boxing fans, and we and since we chop it up anyway, we thought maybe we put it on. Maybe we could put it on a podcast. So, uh, they looked at me, the person, and they were like. Well, you don't really look like the type that would be into that type of thing or know about that type of subject. So my question is, and I wish Danny was here to answer this, too, is like, what does a boxing fan look like? Like, Because I was kind of like confused. Like, I mean, well, am I supposed to have a shirt with, with boxing, you know, boxing glove link chain on it saying only built for boxing fans or something? I mean, what am I supposed to do? <laughs>
0: a good question um i don't know you know maybe it could be more so your interactions with that person you know like they just whatever it is that you normally discuss with them that they just never thought that you were a boxing fan just based on the relationship that y'all have i don't know you know what i mean because what does a boxing fan look like you know when you see some of the people who go to the events and they are there on a regular basis you know if you just based on looks, they might not be people that you, you would think that are, you know, in a boxing like that. I know Regis Philbin was a huge boxing fan. Does he look like the prototypical, you know, g- guy that would like boxing? You know, so I don't know.
1: Yeah, but but, but props to that person. Uh, I'll name him, uh, Royster, but props to him, you know. So uh, just looking at this, this past night, I mean, it was a classic, classic, uh, first thing, this is a classic card from top to bottom. Like it was, I was really surprised about uh, how how thorough this this card was, top to bottom. I mean, it felt like uh, uh, I have a dream like moment for boxing. Like you had top rank and a premier boxing championship people walking hand in hand, and it was like you had Lennox Lewis commentating with Andre Ward. Uh, you had sean porter giving props you know as announcer to to tim bradley as a commentator saying hey what's up man where you at man it, it was just like it, it was just a classic moment it's like it's like pbc and top rank came together to say hey look we're the real deal you know i, I guess triller must have inspired him or something because they really it really did put out and I, I was very very uh impressed with, with what they were doing. I mean, you you saw everything on this card. You saw brawls. You saw knockouts. You saw people being out You saw people being out skilled. And you saw boxing ske- purely pure boxing skill. Also, it was it was everything. Even with you know without controversy, it was some controversy there too. Like it, it was just a lot. So uh, that being said, going to this fight, uh, the third fight between Tyson Fury and Deontay Wilder. Uh, you know, Tyson Fury, he came in his fight 30-0 and and a one draw against Wilder. Uh, and Wilder is 42-1-1 one and one with that draw also. Uh, of course, Fury, you know, he has a knockout over Wilder, but also has a win, a win over uh, Vladimir Klitschko. Deontay Wilder, uh, you know, he has these 41 knockouts from his 42 victories. I guess that one person that, that went the distance and lost, Um was uh Steverne who r- remained Stiverne, who Wilder came back to knock out again in a rematch. Uh th- this 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 heavyweight fight was an event, one of the best heavyweight fights I've seen, you know, in a minute. You know, uh you have uh big E. Lansden, you know, the W the current WWE champion introducing both of the fighters. And it's funny because uh both Fury and Wilder, they, they seem like the type of guys who would have a career in you know wrestling after their boxing careers are over but you know it, it just had all the makings of a classic um this fight of course uh fury won this fight by a uh, technical knockout in the 11th round uh and one of the most dramatic uh you know parts we've seen in a while but th- this fight was interesting wilder started off well with the jab you know he he, he did something that and i saw something from him that I didn't think I was going to see and I didn't think he was going to fix that he actually did start, start off working off the jab I mean he even had jabs to the body and he was going to Fury's body and had Fury kind of like you know stuck in place early and Fury it seemed like he took you know a couple rounds to really get in his rhythm he, he, he seemed like man what is going on and, um, and for a second like Wilder was just going to take this thing like I was like surprised like shocked like This is a different Wilder, Um, and I'll be interested in how uh, Wilder moves forward, Uh, even even trying to perfect that style, even, you know, trying to do better with that style, because you could tell it wasn't 100% realized in this fight because it only lasted about two rounds. Uh, But the third round, uh, Fury... You know, he he got more into his rhythm and started doing what he does with the feints, and it became kind of like a mixture of the uh, the first and second fight, where especially the first fight, where Fury was was you know trying to faint uh, Wilder out to and uh, using that head movement so he doesn't get caught by the right hand, and and of course uh, Wilder is always a, a you know a danger, um, and, and Fury was trying to really step it up. Uh, in the fourth before being caught um by wilder uh right hand he went down and it, i thought this 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 knockdown was it could have been controversial because it was a slow count i thought both knock knockdowns of fury was it was very slow counts uh even though he got up uh he was a little buzzed but i didn't like how wilder would look when he did get you know start getting hurt um it, it, there was times later in the fight, I would say around the uh, ninth round, where uh, Wilder's head was being snapped back by jabs. And, and normally, we, 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 if you watch watching boxing, you know once a guy's head started getting snapped back by, by jabs, especially late in the fight, especially when it wasn't happening earlier, that that's not a great sign. But, you know, uh, Wilder, you know, he, he, he was still dangerous. He, I, he knocked Fury down twice. I believe it was in the fourth, I mean, the third round, I believe third or fourth round, uh, third round. He knocked, uh, Fury down twice. And I thought Fury was going to be out of there by the, the, the fourth round. Um, but he fought a, a, even though, I mean, he did what he wanted to do. Wilder finally got what he wanted in the second round. In the words of Bud Crawford, he got what he was looking for. He wanted to go out on a shield. He did just that. Keeping out on a shield, keeping out like a warrior and, and, it, and it's interesting when I think about this fight, uh, be, the, the the outcome, because beforehand, I thought if Wilder loses, then, you know, where does he really, what's really going to happen with him? We'll get into that uh, more. But I, I believe that he doesn't lose too much stock. I mean, of course, he doesn't get to be the top tier that he wants, but he did lose lose a lot of stock. I mean, he went out on a shield. He... he he was still dangerous and he always will be dangerous to show that he's just not going to be rolled over. And it was just a classic heavyweight fight. And I I was very happy to be able to witness it. And your thoughts, uh, Will. Yeah. I thought this fight was
0: um, like a microcosm of both of the first fights, you know, all into one, you know, where you had, you know, the knockdowns in the first fight and, Fury dominating a lot of the fight, and then Wilder having his moments, and then certain parts of the fight, it just looked like Fury was just a better man like he was in the second fight, but it was just all compacted in this one um, exciting back and forth action type of battle. Um, and like I said, this was the, the best of the three fights. And both guys, like as you stated, showed tremendous heart, determination, and that's what you like in one of these huge uh, mega fights. Now, I thought this fight really came down to each guy's strategy, pre-fight strategy, as well as the in-fight strategy. Um, This was a a great fight to me in terms of suspense, but not so much as far as technique, I would say. But, you know, like I say, really, really good back-and-forth action, one of the best heavyweight fights that you can possibly see, you know, like I say, minus the the, the technique. Now, as far as strategies are concerned, pre-fight, both fight. Both fighters um, came in at their heaviest weights, but I thought it was for two reasons, two different reasons, I should say. For Fury, he came in heavier so he can lean on Wilder, gas him out, and he was also slightly trying to increase his power. Where Wilder added the extra weight so he can be stronger and not get manhandled in those clinches that was happening to him in the second fight. And then I think that Fury, Pre-fight knew that Wilder, like him bulking, bulking up. I think that he felt like Wilder couldn't be possibly be acclimated to the weight because that's manufactured mass that you're putting on, and it wasn't like naturally put on. You know, when you lifting those weights and things like that, it's good for a certain moment and certain bursts, but after a while, you kind of get drained, and especially the way Wilder fights with those wild shots. It wasn't going to help him out because I heard him say that in an interview that he had with one of those um, British boxing network guys. And he just said it like so nonchalantly, he's like, No, it's too much weight, you know, that he put on. And he was actually absolutely right um, when he said that. And, you know, with Fury, he just knows nuances of the game that Wilder just wouldn't know because Wilder started so late and Fury just grew up in the sport. So it's just certain little you know intricacies that he's familiar with and just knows innately that like i say wilder just wouldn't possibly be able to um figure those things out but he has that eraser you know as we all know now as usual in fight wilder has he had his usual strategy of trying to land a big right hand at alabama slammer but as you stated also in the early rounds he was digging that jab to the body and he was digging some right hands to the body and so while he was doing that, that was backing Fury up in the process. But Fury was calculating the data, you know, and, and seeing how he can get off, and then also allowing Wilder to, you know, exude his energy. And I heard Sugar Hill say that too, it was after one of those rounds, Like, yeah, let him keep doing that. He's getting tired. You can tell he's getting tired already. And that was like in the second round, he was saying that. Um, Wilder, you know, when, while he was doing that, using that jab, and that was an unorthodox type jab that he was using, but it was effective by keeping Fury at a safer space for Wilder, you know, it it was better for him strategically, when he was able to back Fury up, because like I said, he was keeping him at that distance. And then it was also having Fury in a position where he can land that extended right hand that he loves to throw. And it was like I said, in a space where he's more comfortable. Now, all of that went out the window, once he got knocked down, that's when he resorted back to his instincts by just, you know, setting up the one two and well basically setting up the one two and throwing those wild shots. You know, like I said, he just went back to, resorted back to who he, you know, innately is. Now, in-fight strategy for Fury. Fury's strategy was to throw body and head shots, then get close, hold and clinch, and lean on Wilder, and then also make Wilder shoot, with those big punches, right? And um, and that way, he, he would gas them out. And so by, by Wilder whiffing those punches so much, being leaned on, you know, it contributed to what you talked about Veil, as far as in some of those rounds when he looked like Fury could have got him out of there because by the time he made it to the latter part of the fight he just didn't have the ability like to brace himself anymore because he was just so gassed out now Fury to me he could have took advantage of some of those opportunities more because Wilder kept doing it, it was like if you saw like after round four, it was the same thing. Wilder shoot those wild shots and he was, his balance was off so bad too. Like he doesn't have really good balance um, and footwork. That's something that I don't know if they'll be able to work on at this stage of his career, but he was out of range and, and he was out of position and Fury could have took advantage of that, but I think he didn't do it for two reasons. For one, Wilder still has something left on that fastball. And then the other thing was Fury was just really sticking to a strategy. Now, Fury is really great at, you know, keeping up with his game plan. But what I noticed also is he's not so much good at improvising at certain times. But again, he didn't have to take those chances because he was up so high on the scorecards and he was just biding time till Wilder was just to the point where once he lands some of those one twos and once he, he can get water out of there that way, as opposed to taking, you know, a slight risk and putting himself in danger and Fury. Only one time in a fight, he made that mistake when he came in and he really didn't use too much head movement and walked right into a right hand in the fourth, And that's when he got dropped, Um, not once, but twice, you know, in that round. But outside of that, you know, Wilder landed some shots here and there and it kind of shook, he he had some power, but it wasn't nothing that the Gypsy King couldn't handle. Um, And also what I noticed is Wilder, he has a sweet spot where that's where he gets his power off at. It's like mid range where, He can't – it's two places where Wilder is ineffective. It's like right, far on the inside, and then it's it's far out. Like those two places – and moving forward, guys who who are going to fight him, they're going to notice that, but they may not have the ability to maneuver around and not get caught by that right hand like Fury is because Fury has that herky-jerky. That's one of the biggest differences between the two guys also is that Wilder, he doesn't move his head. Like his head is, he's just gonna, when you throw a punch, he might move his head, but Fury is always constantly like moving a little bit. That's just something that he does, like he, he's, he's hes really good at that. And Usyk does it too. Like those really upper echelon, creme de la creme type guys, that's something that they just had that that movement all the time where you're just not gonna be able to get something off on them, you know, on a consistent basis. You might be able to tag them, you know what I mean? But at the same time, it's gonna be far and few in between. Um. And, again, it was a great fight, man. Like I said, just all in all, I just think that Wilder, you know, some things that he, he still can work on as far as his balance, um, utilizing that style a little bit more even when he's hurt, you know what I mean, as far as using a jab, and, you know, getting that footwork together, man, because he's off balance a lot. And it just looks to me that Fury is just a, a, more of a natural boxer. You know, he simply knows the nuances of the game that Wilder does not. And, you know, As I stated before, this is one of the best fights I've watched as far as suspense, but it wasn't so much um, in terms of technique. Last thing that I want to say is, to me, and I know Wilder is big on uh, loyalty and things like that, and I'm not so certain, me on the outside looking in, and he probably has more insight into the situation that happened with Mark Breland and the reason why he wanted to sever ties with him but when I looked at this fight, just from a boxing standpoint, I think he would have been better suited to add in his new trainer, but at the same time, keep Mark Breland there as well. Because Mark Breland, when he did jab using Mark Breland at his best, that's what Mark Breland was working on, like more of a, um, a straighter jab, more of a consistent jab and blinding his, his opponent and then coming back with the right hand, where yesterday, it looked like they were working on things, but it wasn't as fluid. And, you know, maybe they need more time to work together. I'm not sure. Maybe just Fury is just that talented where, you know, it wouldn't have mattered anyway. Um, but, like I said, for me, I think that keeping Breland there, because he was building something with Wilder. Like I say, to a certain degree, sometimes, you know, Water at his best, and, and he looks like Breland a little bit in terms of like that straight one-two that really used to like the um, throw as well. And no, really the last thing that I want to say, Bill, is this, is that I think also Wilder kind of did himself a disservice by coming in at his heaviest weight of 238. Mm. And not just the weight itself, it was the Anthony Joshua muscles that he put on. Like, that's good for bodybuilding. And I'm sure that, you know, he has so much heart and passion and wanting to get redemption that I'm sure like when he, you tell him like the lift weights and stuff like that he wants to beat Fury so bad that he's putting in so much work that I think that after a while like in a fight you get to throwing those winging shots you know on a consistent base. you're going to wear yourself out and after the third round I'm like he really didn't have too much left. I'm surprised the fight went to 11 to be be, um, honest with you But, you know, all in all, man, like I say, it was a great fight. I'm proud of the champ, you know, for showing such heart and determination, and, you know, regardless of the outcome, I'm still going to ride with him uh, until the wheels fall off.
1: Yeah, it it was a great fight, and uh, to your point, yeah, about especially the weight, um, that was the first thing I thought of, like, because Wilder, he might have wanted to put on that weight to try to, you know, compete with Fury leaning on him, but at the same time, if if any type of history has taught us anything about water, and he knows this, he's at his best when he's like between two ten and two twenty. When he's in that range, it's like I, I, I think had he been in that range, it's, it's punch. He 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 might have been more uh, mobile and been able to, to to get fury out of there at, at some point. Um, but well, it's interesting that he put on that weight at two hundred thirty eight pounds. Uh, six foot you know six six foot seven uh i think both of these guys man they preparing for that wwe career man they, they had uh big e you know presenting for him i, I call within five years there'll be a wrestlemania moment but yeah he, he you know he looks like his finish move is gonna be a power bomb or something like that the bronx power bomb but yeah, other than that, uh, shout out to, to uh, Sugar Hill. And the funny thing about Sugar Hill, uh, Tyson Fury's trainer, I think Deontay Wilder would probably excel under that type of regime, like with the the, the crunk style. And I think Fury might have made a power move by selecting, you know, Sugar Hill as his trainer, because that style just, I, th- I think Wilder would be, be just unstoppable under that style. What are your thoughts on that, Will?
0: Yeah, I think that he'll be better suited if somebody are around like a Stewart, Sugar Hill, one of those guys. And I think it's um, it's another one of those guys around there that he could have selected um, to help out, but then it would win against Sugar Hill's relationship. Was it, is it Thomas? It's it's another um, Sugar
1: Hill, not Sugar Hill, but another Crant guy that's. Uh, I know Jonathan Banks but I know there's, an, there's probably someone else but I know Jonathan Banks the former yeah, fighter
0: yeah Banks is who I was talking about who I was thinking about yeah but that is tricky because of Banks relationship with Sugar Hill you know what I mean and I don't know like Wilder you know he just seemed like the guy that everything that he selects it it, it has to be um, something that he's truly comfortable with and I don't even know how comfortable he would be having somebody that's in the same Um, camp you know what I mean so to speak like that's involved with Kronk if one guy has a Kronk trainer then he probably wouldn't want to you know mess around with that guy because he you know you just never know I can just you know just even I can even tell it with who he selected as far as even Loaded Lux coming out there with him who would have thought that he would have brought out Loaded Lux in terms of introducing him or you know in his ring walk you know what I mean like that has to Everything means something for him, and so that would be tricky. But as far as if he did select somebody from, um, like, the crunch, that would help him out because it goes hand-in-hand with what he likes to do, and that's what they teach over there. They teach that power. You know, a lot of guys over there have those big right hands, and and, um, I think that he would be better suited if he did have somebody like that um, that was in his camp. So I agree.
1: Shout out shout out to uh, both fighters. They fought a terrific fight. Um, but moving along, uh, what do you think is in the future for both of these guys?
0: Well, for the champ, Tyson Fury, you know, sky's the limit, man. He, he just proved that in this era that he's the best of that crop. You know, him, Wilder, Joshua, that crew that, you know, he, he's a cut above. And moving forward, he basically can do what it is that he wants to do. Um, I think some people would give um, Usyk a shot against him. And to a certain degree, I think Usyk has a slight chance, but at the same time, it's just certain things that he can get away with against other guys that he would not be able to get away with against Tyson Fury. For one, like I say, Usyk likes to gauge distance. So once he's able to touch a guy a little bit, then everything, you know, comes – after that so once he knows mm-hmm. how to touch you then he's going to like start frustrate you and then he's just going to keep like touch you enough where he's just going to pile up the points and get the victory he won't be able to do that against fury because mm-hmm. fury is like you know as far as his his intellect in the ring he has a very high iq as well and he knows that he wants to do those things and then also Fury's going to have a strategy too for one he's going to make Usyk as tired as he possibly can be in the ring by clinching Holding them and then um, always being first and always um, being like the general inside the ring. So he can go into that fight. I would favor him against Usyk. That would be the other huge fight that they can have. And, you know, they can have that in the UK or wherever. And, you know, that's another huge payday for Tyson Fury. So that's the thing that I see like the biggest thing on the horizon for him. But he also has the AJ fight. Like they can do that still and he can generate some revenue Um, and, you know, any of those other guys, like you can always, like I think Tyson Fury from time to time, he'll, you know, pick whoever, you know what I mean? And and he'll just stay busy, you know? But like I say, uh, moving forward, that's the biggest thing on the horizon is that Usyk fight and then possibly an AJ fight. Now, as far as Wilder is concerned, the first thing I would do if I was him, get some rest. Like, right. this, this thing has been lingering on for about two years now, and he's been eating, sleeping, and only thing he's been thinking about is Tyson Fury. Like, those guys, those three fights in a row that they just had, and then also going through, like, litigation to try to get the fight, you know, constantly training, then a the fight being delayed, postponed, and all of those type of things. And you see that he put massive amounts of work in, and that's all he's been thinking about. So he needs to decompress you know, take your vacation. I wouldn't even mess around with the sport of boxing, especially after that brutal type fight that he just, you know, went through. I would take about a good three months, four months away and then just relax, enjoy my family and, you know, get back centered. And then after that, you know, get back in the gym, you know, work on that footwork and, you know, mastering that style of using the jab, you know, working behind that jab. And then, you know, I think we're closest that we've ever been actually to a Joshua and Wilder fight because both guys really, um, you know, they both lost the title. And, you know, this would be an opportunity for them to kind of re-energize their career, you know, so something like that. But I would before I would get to a Joshua, I would take me some other guys before that, like maybe one or two tune-up fights and then going to like one of those big fights with a Joshua um, and the loser of Usyk and, and and Fury, you know, but I think his ultimate goal is going to be to try to put himself back on a mountaintop as close as possible to get that four fight with Fury if possible. But what about you? What do you think is next for guys I think
1: we will have a, happens with both guys depends on whether that rematch with uh, Usyk and AJ actually happens I think that would drive a lot of what both guys do Uh, even though there's there's plentiful options for 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 both of them Uh, Fury I think really relies on what happens in that in that rematch between AJ and Usyk because Fury is the type of fighter he has to be up for somebody and I can I can see him I only see Fury having about one or two fights left as far as what he's probably going to do. I know he probably has more than that from a fighter standpoint, but I think from what he's going to do, if history is taught as anything, he's probably going to, you know, take some time off balloon up and wait or something like that. Um, and, try, and probably either he's going to take a tune-up fight or take the winner of AJ Usyk uh, rematch, uh, or, or he'll take a, uh, yeah, a tune-up fight against someone and and, and pretty much is going to look uh, ordinary when he does that. Um, for Wilder, um, as you say, yeah, he should take some time off, not too much. I think he's, you know, he's 35. He still has some fights left. He still has that eraser, but as far as opponents, I would tone it down just a tad bit. Uh, of course I think he can still beat guys like, uh, You know, uh, uh, AJ, I think that fight would still be exciting. I think I would even still favor him in that fight. Yeah, I wouldn't be mad if he takes the loser of the the rematch between Uzik and uh, AJ. I think the outcome of that fight, the loser could fight uh, uh, Deontay Wilder, and that still would probably be a a pay-per-view fight. I mean, that's what I like about this event yesterday, is Wilder is still a pay-per-view attraction after this because he's exciting. He had a backing. Uh, social media was all like emotional about what was going on so he still has you know people who want to see him fight so he doesn't lose uh too much It just you know as, as a top fighter as a top heavyweight i think yeah he's not on the top of the mountain but people are still going to pay to see that you know that racer um and, and i won't be mad to see him against someone like an andy ruiz or even a, a delian white i mean those fights are still out there and it, those are still uh, fights that they can still sell, will sell, you know? So those are just, just great fights. Uh, and I think Wilder, but as you say, yeah, Wilder should, you know, take some time off, take a vacation. Uh, he just needs to relax a little bit, you know, get his mind off of it. Because I know after a loss like that, people can be cruel and, and people can discount the warrior heart that they just saw yesterday. So he should just take some time off and go away, you know? But he'll be all right. Uh, anything else you want to share?
0: Yeah, I was going to say a couple of things. I like the Dillian White. Maybe after a fight or two, I, I would like to see that. Um, and one thing about Tyson Fury, I used to think the same thing as far as him and his like getting up for opponents. I think if you have like when Tyson Fury fights like somebody he's not familiar with, or somebody who he doesn't, like, really respect at that level, I think that's when he's most vulnerable. I mean, a lot of guys are, you know, a lot of football teams the basketball teams, sports teams, or just people in general. Like, when you fight or prepare against, you know, somebody who isn't um, quite up to your level, you know, in any way you can't see yourself losing to him. it's hard to, you know, get up for those type of um, people and situations. But I think that any of those top-level guys that even though he'll feel like he has the advantage over him, I don't see him slipping up against not, – not at Usyk. No, I, don't, I don't see him doing it because the stakes are too high. Like, he has all of those belts. Now, maybe if it was just Usyk, it was just a um, voluntary, you know, challenge that he was taking. He was taking on like a former cruiserweight. But Usyk has shown something against Joshua and he's a big enough name where I don't see, you give Fury about three, four weeks to train, he's gonna be tough for anybody. You know what I mean? Like at his worst because that dude is just such a natural. You seen him yesterday, even before the fight, like how he was just relaxed and chilling and, you know, and even with the added weight, like for him, he can do 10, 12 rounds easy because the the problem with fighting a Fury is he's so big, he's so massive that his massiveness is like it's a naturalness uh, to it. You know what I mean? It's it's it's, it's, it's naturally um, there where a guy like any of those other guys, like even when Usyk bulked up, you know what I mean? It's like, how's the weight going to play out for him? Because you have to factor in now I got to make myself a little bit bigger to be able to get out of those clinches with this dude who's going to be clenching, you know, throughout the fight. But the problem with that is that not only are you having to carry your own weight, you have to try to carry his weight too. And so that's a daunting task for anybody. And you're going to just wear yourself down, especially those smaller guys like Wilder and Usyk. They're going to, it's going to be really trouble for them and like trying to figure out, what's a good weight to come in that to deal with that guy you know what I mean like I say because it's those two factors you know having to carry this extra weight and then having to carry his weight as he's leaning on me throughout the course of those fights but I just wanted to mention that I don't see him um like easing off the gas enough for the the upper echelon guys I can see that against you know somebody like a um maybe a Ruiz or something like that where he gets caught slipping, you know what I mean, and somebody catch him with something because he just he might be playing around, he might not be taking them as serious. But I don't see that against those, those top-level guys because he rises to the occasion in those big fights. You saw how he did against Klitschko, the Wilder fights. You know, he just always, you know, he's one of those guys. Yeah, man, that was an excellent fight. It was a classic. You know, I'm going to have to check that one out again. And, um, you know, looking forward to seeing where both guys go you know, for the rest of their careers. But also, you have some up-and-coming guys um, on the fight card who going into this weekend, they were saying that they could have stole the show. Now, it'd be hard to steal the show based on what we saw in that Wilder and Fury uh, main event because it was such a, you know, tremendous battle uh, for those 11 rounds. But you did have FA Jabba, you know, the hard-hitting Nigerian taking on the Cuban Frank Sanchez. Um, did you see that fight? And if you did, what did you think about that
1: one? Uh, yeah, I, I checked that fight out. Um, of course, it it didn't actually steal the show in terms of excitement. But I did actually like what I saw in this fight for uh, a few reasons. Um, I think, it was, you know, you have two undefeated guys putting it on a the line. They didn't have to fight each other. They could have fought any other, you know, uh, gatekeeper or opponent or journeyman just to, you know, uh look good against but they fought each other and and i like that you know this is what boxing needs two guys who who you know they have something to lose and they put it on the line and, and and the winner the winner of this fight could, could enter the top 10 of the heavyweight or you know be in there somewhere for in a position for bigger and better fights uh but i, I like that even if you lost this fight you learn something from it so when this fight started um uh, uh, a jabba started off, you know he of course he, he he relies on trying to land that right hand and he he's almost like a, uh, he, he's similar to Wilder, but he's a little more active. He doesn't have the power of Wilder. Uh, but he he's, he's a little more active, but he he, he, he tries to, to rely on that on setting up that right hand. And as soon as he tried to throw it, Sanchez you know responded with some counters and, and you know and A was kind of thrown off. Uh, and, I, and I thought as soon as he he felt Sanchez uh, uh, counters and, and, and a little bit power behind those counters, I think things changed. And Ajaba just settled into, you know, uh, he actually settled into Sanchez rhythm and, and let Sanchez fight his fight. Um, and Sanchez got his, his jab going, I think, around the third round uh, and caught Ajaba coming in with his right hand. And that's when it was just like everything changed from, from there as far as how a uh, Ajaba approached this fight um then but he Ajaba did you know he started to open up a little bit more uh in, in the sixth round um uh, where he he hit he did catch uh Sanchez with this this jab Sanchez coming in with a jab and Sanchez slipped and really he was in my eyes I thought Sanchez was knocked down but they rooted a slip uh, but then he you know he got back up um and then Sanchez scored a knockdown in the seventh round. Uh, and also, he hit uh, a job while he was down. That was an interesting exchange. And I thought that was, it could have been a little bit, a little controversy there because the referee, I know his referee did not even count. I mean, I, maybe he got confused. Maybe he was initially going to rule it a hey, you hit him while he was down and then decided it was a knockdown. And, you know, it, it just seemed like the referee was kind of confused by that because there was no count. And and you have to ask yourself, what if uh Ajabi was really hurt and didn't get up? What would have happened? You know, so that's why I, I thought this this uh that knockdown and you know, some controversy around that and the and how the ref handled that. But nonetheless, I think uh, you know, ajabi, you know, got up. Uh his his corner was telling him everything he needed to hear, you know. And I think a he just it's not that he just, you know, what listed to his corner. I think he just not. That's why I'm glad he took this fight because he, you learned that maybe he needs something to work on or that he can be in position to win another fight like this, and he see where he's at, and it would help him, you know, go in the future. Because it's not like Ajaba just got, you know, whitewashed and beat up, or that he got knocked out. You know, he was just outskilled by, by uh, you know, uh, I think Sanchez is a what, Cuban, another Cuban fighter. Uh, he just got schooled by, you know, uh, someone with, uh. uh more fundamentals than he had, and I think he, he's probably gonna. If he looks at this fight holistically and say, "Look, look at everything he did wrong," he's gonna learn a lot from this, and he's gonna come from this. And I'm excited to see where Sanchez goes from here, also, because even though Ajabi kind of like towered, you know, was towered over him, over him a little bit, Sanchez is not a small heavyweight, and, he, and he's very, very fast for you know what you're seeing. And, and I would not be, I not mind seeing Sanchez against someone like a. A Joe Joyce or something like that, but you know it was it was an interesting fight. Um, in my my losses is, is zero, but but if he goes back to the drawn belt ward and look at what's to learn from this fight, I think he'll come back more. That one is going to bring him a, a lot more in his career.
0: Yeah, uh, it's a it was a good fight. It just didn't live up to the hype, you know. Um, Ajabi, he didn't ex- engage uh, much in this fight, and that was surprising. And Frank, it was, it was based on what Frank was doing though. So Frank, he was landing some overhand rights throughout. He was using angles and that very quick movement, you know, especially for a heavyweight, heavyweight that's what was taming um, Effie Ajaba, you know, throughout the course of the fight. Um, he basically won a fight using ring generalship, you know, like that quick movement, just moving Ajaba around wherever it is he wanted to move him around. And he does this little tricky thing I, I, where he crosses his hands. He crosses both hands. You, did you notice that, veil where he just sit there and then he will just have both hands and he just, like, cross them against each other? It's just a little slick move that he does. And man, it's a cute he, thing. He has some really quick feet also. Like, he has some really, um, like, Fred Astaire-type uh, movement for such a, you know, pretty big, you know, heavyweight. Um, as far as the Jabba, I thought that, you know, it just showed how green he is, you know, um, and to me, you know, based on what I see from him now, like he's he just is like a straight up and down fighter, you know, with one special effect, which is that right hand, you know, um, and like you said, the big right hand ended up dropping him in the seventh round. And then Frank clipped him with that left, you know, when he was on that knee, you know, he, he, he tapped him one more time for good measure. Now, Jabba, I mean a could have, because he looked like the bunch that he hitting with that left was almost equally as powerful as the right hand that put him down. And he, if he would have played his cards right, he could have got a disqualification, you know, in that fight if he wanted to t- go that route. But, you know, he showed some, some grit, you know, and didn't complain or anything like that. But it was, it was funny because, you know, in those situations where you get clipped like that, typically you get five minutes to recuperate and a ref didn't give him five minutes, didn't count. You know what I mean? So it was just interesting to see, like you said, it looked like he was, he didn't know what to do in that situation, whether or not to take a point, whether or not, or what to do. And he probably just forgot that he didn't even count. You know what I mean? So yeah, it was, it was a crazy exchange, but all in all, I don't think it was going to affect the outcome. Well, it could have affected the outcome had they called the, knockdown in the sixth round and knocked out, even though it, he wasn't hurt or anything like that, but he did get hit with a jab or something like that when he was throwing that wild left hand. So if they would have called that a knockdown, then also took the point away, it would have made it a lot closer. Um, but I think he still would have inked out a victory had they done those things. Um, but after around like the ninth round, would just start looking discouraged and defeated. And, you know, like I say, Frank, you know, it was a good win for Frank you know, and back to the drawing board for a job. Anything else you got on that fight?
1: No, no, it, it was, it, it was a highly skilled fight. It told, uh, even though it wasn't, a, they live with the highest part of excitement, it did tell a, a story that if you were a casual fan, looking at it and not like a real hardcore boxing fan, you could learn something about how the game goes from that fight. hmm Yeah. And also on, on this car, uh, there was a heavyweight rematch, uh, their first fight was really, really exciting, and and, and this fight could have been a a, a main eventer on its own. But what it, it, they did it a treat by putting it on uh, this card, uh, and I'm talking about uh, Robert Helines, uh against uh, Adam Kawanaki. You um, checked that fight out, Will? If you did, what were your thoughts on it?
0: Yeah, I checked it out. It was um, highly anticipated on my end because I wanted to see what or if um, Kawanaki, if he was going to do anything different in this fight especially since they had him um, the favorite going into this fight. And I was wondering, uh, what was I missing? You know, because once the fight started, Helenus, he picked up right where he left off. He was landing some big right hands. He ended up swelling up Kawanaki in that first round. And he hurt Kawanaki at least twice in the first round, but he came in the fight looking so comfortable, you know, so confident. You know, he was just putting it on Kawanaki, looking real, real comfortable. Round two. By the time round two, like the end of round two, both of the Kawanaki's eyes were swelling up. Uh, Helanus was doing, he wasn't doing anything special, but he would just continue to like that land that one, two at will. And Kawanaki just didn't have any answers for him. Rounds three and four, pretty much the same thing. But the only thing was that Helenus, he added in an overhand right, you know, that was crossing Kawanaki's guard. And he didn't have an answer for that, you know. And then he also... Um, I think it was round three is that's when Kawanaki landed a low blow. He landed several low blows throughout the course of the fight, but that was one. I think they took a point away at that time because Helena just had that look on his face like, come on, man. Like, what are you doing? You know, and um, but the low blow that he landed, it was where he was it, it was a good thing that he landed it for his sake and i think that that was a strategy that he was using so he wouldn't get knocked down because he was getting hit with some hellacious shots by the time you met it the round five Elena was just posh shot in kawanaki and then round six the referee ended up stopping the fight because of the excessive low blows it was a dq victory for elena's and it was a good thing that again that the referee stepped in and gave him a dq as opposed to letting the onslaught go on because he was about to get knocked out again um in this rematch now um I gotta say man Helena just looked good against uh, um Kawanaki he, he has his number and going into this fight like I said I think what Kawanaki was thinking was that now I'm prepared for you and you know I'm not taking you lightly So now that, you know, like I said, I got my antennas up and I'm prepared for you, I think that that would be enough this time going into it because I won't get caught off guard with anything that you're going to do. But he needed to add a a little bit more um, of something else in order to be able to be victorious because even some of the things that he customarily does, he wasn't doing because normally he's a volume puncher and he throws a lot of shots. Like in that areola fight, I think they broke the CompuBox record. In both fights against um, Helenus, he wasn't throwing, he wasn't a volume puncher at all. Like, he was just shooting one shot at a time, you know, trying to land something big. And then after that, he wouldn't, you know, he was covering up because of the fact that some of those big bombs kept coming back from Helenus and he didn't work on his defense. Like he was just as easy to hit in the second fight as he was the first fight, which made Helenus that much more comfortable. You know, and it's just a bad matchup. That long, tall power puncher against a shorter volume puncher that doesn't move their head is going to spell trouble for anybody. But, you know, good win um, for the Viking King, you know. And, you know, I look forward to seeing what he has, you know, moving forward and who they put in the ring with him because he's going to be a tough fighter to beat against some of those shorter opponents, you know, unless you can get to that chin, you know. But like I say, good good win
1: for Helenus. What did you think? Yeah, it, it was a good win for Heleneus. I thought this fight was a little sad to watch for, for a few reasons. Cause you can tell that that while Kawanaki he, he won this fight, he wanted to prove that this, you know, that he's better than Hellinius and that the first fight was a fluke. But uh you could tell that Helenius just broke his sight. He just broke uh K- Kawanaki's just psychic bottom. Like Kawanaki is just not the same. Like, as you said, he was a, he's a volume puncher and he couldn't really get all, it, it seemed like he was more apprehensive because he knew that, that Helios could hurt him. And some of them shots from, you know, from the, the second round on, from when uh, Kawanaki's uh, eyes started to swell, uh, those shots were just, it, it, you could just hear them. And they were just hard, just just thudding shots. And, and it was just like, like a matter of time. Uh, and I wouldn't be surprised if, if Kawanaki, they, they, maybe he had an orbital bone uh, fracture or anything like that because that that eye was just looking, you know, terrible. Uh, it was, you know, just the way it was looking, and he just had a look on his face like he just he just knew he couldn't win. That's when he started throwing those low blows and and. You could see it was entertaining to watch Helena's, like, you know, go off a of body, like, hey, man, what, what are you doing, man? <laughs> but Heleneas did what he had to do. He put it on the more. It was interesting because the more he put it on Kawanaki, the more Kawanaki would uh, throw them low blows. He, and the referee was, you know, took a point from him. Uh, but I, I, I thought the, inter- the ending of this fight was interesting that it's, 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 it was rude, uh, a, a DQ, a DQ win for uh, Helenius. And and with interest, I thought is, uh really deserved that that technical knockout, and and Kawanaki he, he kind of robbed him of that. But at the end of the day, Heleneas already the first fight was a knockout. We, if you saw this fight, you know what happened. I, I think if I was Kawanaki, I would uh, just the same advice Bill you said for Wilder. I think Kawanaki even more so. I mean, he you know he, he has a baby on the way. Uh, I think he should just go somewhere and relax with his you know. Um, significant other and just not not think about this i think he needs to before he gets in the ring again before i see him in the ring i think he needs to regroup himself and and, and not re- rededicate himself because i think he is a dedicated fighter but kind of reinvent himself i would say do something like how uh chris Ariola did where chris Ariola really went back to the drum war he took some time off and reevaluate his position and tried to rebuild himself as a fighter and i think Kawanaki could learn something from that, I think, because because he needs to, he definitely needs to work on his defense, and and, and he's a young guy. I, mean, I I don't think all is lost for him, but I, I would say he would need to pretty much rebuild himself as a fighter and reinvent himself before he comes back, because I don't I don't the way he fights and what he's built off as far as volume, I, I can't see a great ending for him, you know. Uh, so, uh, but shout out to Heleneus. I think Helinius is going to be a I, I like the way Helene has rebuilt himself as we're talking about it. Uh, and, he, and I think that the the Viking King, he, he, he's on his way to, you know, he can be a a, a possible opponent for, you know, and uh, Frank Sanchez, or, or even one of the, 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 the second tier opponents for Furio Wilder, just to, you know, just to have, I think that, that he's a live dog in, in any fight because, you know, how he rebuilt himself. I mean, I think years ago they thought they said his career was over and he proved the doubters it wrong. It's funny because that's why that's why I think uh Kawanaki right now has the opportunity to do. Uh but it was kind of a, a brutal fight to watch the Kawanaki take that type of punishment. Um, but shouts out to both guys. It was it, it was still an entertaining fight. Uh, you have any other thoughts on that one?
0: I think um Kawanaki. It might be a little too late for him as far as being able to switch things up because he built his career on that, you know, as far as being that volume puncher, you know, who, you know, just throws all those shots and he's able to take your punishment. You know, he might take one or two and he's gonna land three or four. You know what I mean? He's such a big guy, but he ran into somebody who who can who can crack a dent, you know, who can who can not necessarily take some because he didn't have to just based on his stature, his height and his stance that Kawanaki is tough for him to get to Helenus for one. And then two, um, it's like he turned him into somebody who is like a one punch type guy. You know what I'm saying? And 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 um, Kawanaki just doesn't have that type of power. And by him just resorting to that one punch he can just get that one-two off against Kawanaki because Kawanaki doesn't have a head movement and he hits so hard. Like, he doesn't have, like, the greatest knockout ratio, but he's very heavy-handed. And if you take too many of them and you're not moving your head, you're not going to go all 12 with somebody like Helenas. And so he's just in a world of trouble. I was surprised to for them to take the rematch if they were not going to train him to do something significantly different. Like, I was expecting him to try to, like, rush on the inside and just rough him up and get inside there, but he was just doing the same thing over and over, getting caught with the same punches, and it wasn't a plan B. Uh, moving forward, I think for him, he might be somebody going to cash out. Like, that could be somebody that Wilder comes back to fight. You know what I'm saying? And, and you know, they can hype him up. You know, you can get right back to um, – you know, where you was before, even in a higher status, if you beat somebody like Deontay Wilder, you know, and he might go for it. And then that'll be right up Wilder's alley because he's going to be there to get hit. And he's not going to, if he can't take the Nordic Nightmares punches, then he's definitely not going to be able to take the bronze bomber. But, you know, I just, I think the future is grim. I hate to say that. It's just like the heavyweights is just too, you know, like the heavyweights starting to, stir up a little bit man you got like guys like frank sanchez ajaba you got that caliber guys you got um you still got ortiz out there you got ruiz you got dillian white you got fury you got, you know i mean it's just that's, that's a lot of you know talent that is better than him and they can hit and like i say i just don't see you know what his ceiling is going to be with that level of oppositions that's still out there in the heavyweight division do you have anything else bill
1: no, no, that it, you know, it was a brutal fight. Um, uh, and shout out to both guys. Uh moving along, uh, we did have a, uh another showcase fight uh between uh super middleweights. Uh, we had Edgar uh Belinga, the knockout artist against Marcelo Esteban Canceres. Uh did you check out that fight, Will? What were your thoughts?
0: Oh absolutely. I had to check out the um uh... Punching sensation, Edgar Berlinga, you know, he was in action. Like you said, against uh, Marcelo Esteban Casetas. We know that Berlinga, you know, he gained acclaim for winning his first 16 bouts by first-round KO. But in his last fight, he went the distance against a fighter, I want to say it was Demond Nicholson. Um, but in this fight, early on, it looked like, you know, I, for one, I was surprised, but pleasantly surprised that they – like stepped up Berlinga's opposition, you know, relatively high, you know, because uh, Cassettes, like I say, you know, when we previewed this fight, I was saying that he gave Billy Joe Saunders a world of trouble before getting stopped in the 11th round. I I actually thought that he was winning that fight, and I knew that he had a few tricks up his sleeve, you know, um, with his, his awkward style. But, you know, early in this fight, uh, I, I thought Berlang was struggling a little bit to get his power off early, you know, but he did wobble um, Cassettes at one point. I want to say it was like around the fourth round. Um, but, you know, Cassettes uses experience and movement to keep out of range and distance. And, you know, he, he got, he, he kept out of trouble. Then around the mid part of the fight, that's when Cassettes started to get a little bit more brave and confident, you know, as the fight went on. And he caught, berlinga a couple times in exchanges in that six rounds six round and i knew at that point i was like it's gonna you know be a a, a tough you know night for um berlinga in terms of i I want to see how well he's going to you know do down the stretch because you know as that fight moves on those power punches who used to get guys out of there early you know it's tough for them when they fight guys who um who can take it and then also they can dish it out and that's going to be a vulnerable time like that six through 10 or six through 12 you know for somebody who's heavy-handed who wins shots like Berlinga. and those guys like I said their confidence get up a little bit and they're willing to take more chances and that's what Corsettis started doing and Corsettis he scored a massive knockdown in that ninth round when Berlinger was he was on the way uh, in and he winded up with a left you know a left hook and then Cassettes, like, right after that, just timed him, boom, you know, knocked him down. Berlingo was upset with himself for getting caught with a shot like that. And he got up, and Berlinga, I mean, uh, Cassettis hurt him again, you know, towards the end, but it was at, at the end of the round. Mm-hmm. Um, what I think with Berlinga, I think that he needs to pump the brakes a little bit as far as his lofty um, ambition. You know, he wants guys like Benavides, and, you know, he's just not ready for guys like that. I'm I'm a little bit skeptical on his chin because, you know, Kursidis, he was at 154 um, most of his career, and then he recently, in the, in, in the past few years, he moved up the middleweight and then he moved up the super middleweight. So Berlinga's with, like, 23 or something like that. Like I say, pump the brakes, uh, and you know, you got notoriety now. You got a fan base. And so, you good. Like, you don't necessarily have to, you know, jump and be on this fast track to fight guys like Benavidez because you're not ready for those guys just yet. He's still got a lot of work to do. He leaves himself open a lot um, and he's winging those wild shots. They were calling him, you know, kind of comparing him to Asselino Fridas, who was a 130-pound power puncher, you know, back in the day when he was facing guys like Joe Casamayor and, and people like that um i don't think i think that's that's kind of uh early um comparison you know to compare him to a guy like that i see some similarities but fritz wasn't that easy to hit um so it, it's a few things that he needs to work on you know get in the gym you know work, work on those things as far as like your head movement and stamina but build yourself up against you know, C-plus, B-level fighters and incrementally get yourself better. You won't, wouldn't shouldn't look for like a Benavides or anybody like that and, until another maybe two years down the line. And then you can possibly be ready or at least you'll be at your best to be able to compete against the elite fighters. But the young fellow still has a lot of work to do. Um, but it was a good win and it was a good learning experience in the process. Uh, what did you think about Edgar Berlinga? Berlinga.
1: Yeah, I checked this fight out. Um for Liga, he wanted to go more than he always said he wants to go more than one one round or one to three rounds because he'd be getting a lot of one round knockouts. And I think one of his last few fights, it lasted like uh I think three rounds or something like that. And he and I even his his handlers wanted him to go more rounds, so they stepped him up a little bit. And we all, you know, wanted him to step, step up to see where he was at. uh just like bud Crawford said he got what he was looking for because he got he got a full 10 rounds this time and, and it wasn't uh, easy even though um uh, uh, you know he was winning you know rounds and and, and a lot of rounds he was he it was kind of like he was edging those rounds he win those rounds but it wasn't without struggle uh Caseras, he was he was putting up a, a a great fight he was throwing punches he was showing a lot of movement that was troubling Berlenga. of course Berlanga was doing well you know he was working off his jab which I I did like um but it, it seemed like I think Berlinga's type of fighter if he can't hurt you he's gonna have some issues you know going forward or if he or he comes across someone who who he can't you know hit or ha- or is very elusive he's gonna have a lot of trouble uh and yeah, that ninth round knockout, knockdown, I thought was very, very like, he was really hurt, even though he was mad at himself and he got up like a warrior. Um, I think if, if, because I think he was kind of saved by the bail and, and let's say he was in there with a Benavidez or even a Charlo or Canelo, that fight would have been over, you know? <laughs> so I, I don't think he's necessarily ready for those guys. But at the same time, I'm, I'm you know, just like we said earlier, I'm glad he took that fight Uh because we can see where he's at you know he sees what the things he need to work on and he saw what happens when someone put up a resistance what he should do so this gives him you know things to go back to the gym and say hey this is what i want to do this is how i want to get better because if you don't know you'll never know and once you hit the top level and, and, and you get found out you don't want something to happen like what happened to Jeff Lacey, you know, and, and your, your entire confidence just broken after that, you know? So uh, I, th- I thought it was a good win for him. You know, he struggled and we saw what he was made of. And he showed that he can win rounds and those things. I just didn't like the way uh, he was taking some of those punches and I think he should tighten up on his defense. But yeah, that's why they fight these fights so that he can see that, so his handlers can see that he needs to work on some of that stuff. Any uh, you know, other thoughts?
0: Uh, not really, but I was trying to look and see if there were some guys that he can, like, get in the ring with, you know, as far as, like, incrementally stepping up his his game. Now, I would, for him, like I say, moving forward, he should take not somebody, like, I think they – go to extremes when it comes to Berlinga. At first, they were giving him all tomato cans where he can knock them on the first round, which was cool because, like I said, he built up this, this fan base. You know, you post something about Berlinga, it's going to be, you know, people are going to react because, you know, a lot of people have bought into that power, and which is good. But at the same time, once you get that fan base, now you can go ahead and strategically move him and to where he can start working on what it is he needs to work on against a little bit better opposition, fight in and fight out, right? And so, like, I would take some more guys who are maybe in the top 20 ish range, and then you can go after somebody like uh, John Ryder, you know, the guy to the UK who isn't much of a puncher, you know what I mean? He has several losses, but he still is pretty high ranked in all of the governing bodies. After that, you know, you can take you some more guys that's in the top, you know, not you know, 11 through 20 range. Get you a couple of guys. Then you can start working your way towards somebody like uh, Anthony Durrell or somebody like that. You know what I mean? But don't just, you know, send him off to the wolves too early. And I think because I think what a lot of people are afraid of is getting that, oh, removed. And so then your marketing, all of that fan base that he's built up, then they start thinking that he's like um, a fraud. You know what I mean? So but they just have to be careful. Just don't send him to the wolves too early because he has a lot of things that he still needs to work on. Also on that car yesterday, Bill, you had Julian Williams. He was coming back. You know after a long layoff i think his last fight was that loss against um banana rosario uh for his belt and so he was coming back against vladimir hernandez i think that was one of the first fights on the undercard did you get a chance to check that one out
1: yeah i checked that fight out uh i just want to say uh vladimir hernandez that was an interesting name and i, I had to bring it you know i think it was mentioned on a telecast or someone mentioned it somewhere but that was an interesting combination. I, I I know there's a history behind that. I, mean, you know, it's interesting, but Julian J. Rock Williams, he coming in this fight, uh, twenty seven two and one with sixteen knockouts. Of course, he has that uh, defining win over Jarrett Heard that really got him the one hundred fifty four pound uh, championship. But he also has losses with. Uh, of course, Jamal Charlo coming up, and uh, Jason Rosario, which where he the last fight where he lost his his titles, uh, going against uh, Vladimir Hernandez, who's uh, twelve for, uh, with six knockouts. Now, um, J. Rock is interesting because I, I know he came in this fight weighing one hundred fifty six pounds, so that leads me to believe that he was probably having weight issues, and he hasn't fought since you know that January bout where he you know was beaten by Jason Rosario, and I know he had. A lot of you know a lot of things you know a lot of changes were being done after that fight a lot of things going on uh so it, it seemed like this fight um it, it seemed like he was only there for like maybe the first few rounds maybe he had an issue making weight which which is possible being that he came in overweight but i thought he would you know i like i, I like his style i like the way he boxes you know he moves around he uses movements and you know uh i like his punch selection But at the same time, it seemed like once uh, Hernandez started putting up a resistance and and not going away and kept bringing that volume, I think uh, Williams was just, you know, like stuck in a fight and like he he didn't know what to do. And it was certain certain parts, especially in that second half, once Hernandez started turning it up, where Hernandez was throwing all these punches and Williams was just laying there, just balled up. He just looked, you know, uh, sluggish and tired. And, and, And that... You know, of course that gives me more, you know, confidence. He probably was struggling late or something, wasn't fully trained for this fight. Um now, now uh Hernandez won a split decision. This heart this fight was kind of, you know, you know, I didn't really score it. Uh, I, I I don't have a problem with split decision. Some people thought J-Rock might have edged it. I thought he did better in the first half, and the second half he just started to really like go downhill from there. Um, but I really didn't want to see this fight because I didn't want. I, I was afraid of this this uh, outcome of Chee Rock losing like this. At least it ain't nothing. It wasn't a, a hard loss, but uh, you see a guy that wants to, you know, get back to the top, just like uh, Jared Hurd. He wants to get back to the top of the 154 pound division, um, and it seems like some of the issues that he has still haven't been really rectified yet. Um, I'm curious what those issues might be but just, he just seems just just sluggish and, and Hernandez just turned it up you know and and, and Williams continued to have trouble with that um but shouts out to Vladimir Hernandez um he's now I, think, I believe he's 13 and four it'll be interesting to see where he goes forward in the 154 pound uh division given this landscape but what are your thoughts on this fight Will
0: it's hard to say I think um you know, like you said, he came off that long layoff. You know, at one point he had COVID. Then he had to postpone, um, you know, and getting back into the ring because he had an elbow injury. It's a long time to be off, you know. He looked pretty good the first half of the fight, as you stated. But once that second half of the fight, it was all Hernandez. And it started to get ugly around, like, the ninth and the tenth. I didn't know if, if J-Rock was going to be able to make it through, you know, the whole fight. It's either... He's going to have to move up, which is going to take away some of his physical advantages that he has at 154. But if you have to drain yourself to make the weight limit, then you're putting yourself at a disadvantage anyway. So he'll have to go up there with the, with the bigger boys um, at middleweight. Um, J-Rock is one of those guys, I, I think, to be honest with you, and again, I don't want to be a, a downer on these guys, but I think he, he reached his ceiling. You know already, and he's 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 a fighter that he's real basic. Like he has all of the basic fundamentals. Like at his best, you know he, he he's good fundamentally, but he doesn't have anything special about him. And I would also think that he has kind of a weak set of whiskers, not horribly, but he is if he gets touched on his chin, he he he's, he's, he's going to be in trouble with, with most guys, like especially somebody who can punch, you know, relatively, um, who's a relatively big puncher, like a Rosario, um, like a Charlo or someone like that. Um, but he can compete at the highest level. But is he good enough to defeat those guys at the highest level? But he has to be on his game. He's another one of those guys also that if, he's, if his antennas are up, He's on his game. He could compete and he can upset somebody who's not as good as a Charlo, you know, somebody like uh, her, like he defeated her, like he can beat somebody like that. But at the same time, he's going to be very vulnerable against somebody who's mediocre. If he's not on top of his game, he just always got to be on his game. It's like somebody who can play basketball and, you know, you see them against, like, just subpar competition. They may not look that good because they can't get up for that, but when they're playing against a better level of opposition, they can play with those type of players, it's, but they just have to be on their game, and they have to, you know, have been playing, like, on a day-to-day basis where they're not off their game. But if he's off his game, he, he's he's, he's going to look like you saw him yesterday. So that's why I was intrigued by this matchup to see – how he was going to look because Hernandez isn't an upper echelon type of opponent he's a very tough opponent you know if you take him lightly and that's exactly what happened and like I said I thought Hernandez won the fight I thought it was close because I thought J-Rod may have won the first five rounds but the last part of the fight that Hernandez won it was like much wider like when he started Taken over, it was to the point of J. Rock on sometimes looking like he was on the verge of being stopped. I never, I never saw Hernandez look like that. The rounds that J. Rock won, it could have been either a draw, just based on the number of rounds each guy won, but who actually did the most damage throughout the course of the fight, it was Hernandez. Moving forward, I don't know. You know what I mean? J. Rock just gonna have to get that um opponent that he can. You know, look good against. I just don't know. I don't, I don't, I can't think of any guy off the top of my head, like the top level guys that he will be able to defeat, you know. So I hear that he, he, he does a lot of good things in the city of Philadelphia. He does, it, you know, a lot of good things in terms of saving his money, you know, but he's a good guy, you know what I mean? So you root for him. It's just like in terms of his talent level, I just think that he's reached his peak, you know, but hopefully I'm wrong. Anything else you got about o j rock
1: yeah, uh, so it, that brings up an interesting point, you know how many has that victory over, over, over Jared her, how do you think he does in a rematch against Jared her? like what would you have your thoughts if he decided? you know you know what this is opponent I've beaten before he would take he would gladly take this fight with me in this rematch
0: actually I think that would be a good fight for both, you know, I think that for her. He'll feel like because I'm sure if they did fight, it'll be at 160, as opposed to 154, which would be better suited for her. Um, it could be that'll be a 50-50 fight because it could be a fact that Julian could just have his numbers, you know, because the things that her likes to do, Julian was offsetting them because he wasn't overwhelmed by hurt being so big because he's a big 154 pound fighter himself. And then also some of the technical um, parts of the boxing game that hurt lacks. That's where Wentzcombe is good at those things. Like in fighting, like he was just in there countering him when he was trying to just be too big and overwhelm and, sh- and winging those shots. He was just, you know, keeping this, the tight guard and then just delivering his shots in there. So it could, and I don't see her switching up too much. He's another guy that he's going to do what it is that he's going to do. And he's just trying to um, make it a battle of attrition where he wears you down and then kind of takes you out later because he's just putting that pressure on. He's just so big where that might be a good fight for J-Rock, you know, but J-Rock has to um, somehow, I wouldn't like to see that next because I just think that J-Rock, being so long, he has to build his stamina back up. And I don't know how COVID affected him. Like, that could be something, too. Like, some, of, some people who ended up getting COVID, the long-term effects of it, like the lung capacity and things like that, I don't know if that played a role in it, too. Or was it just a long layoff? Was it the fact you're trying to cut weight? I don't know. So that's something that he has to get himself back um, on point about. And then if he's back to where he was before, then like I said, it's either a 50-50 fight or I definitely think that um, if anybody will be favorite, in my eyes, it will be J-Rock just based on the styles. So so what do you think? What do you think um, would happen if they decide to do it again?
1: Uh, I, th- I think it's a, it's a great fight, fight for both. I think it's a great marketable fight marketable fight for both. I, I look at it like <laughs> it's, it's funny. I, I, I don't really like to make comparisons like this but I do look at it like it's kind of like the uh the Andre Berto Victor Ortiz fight where you have two guys who as you know one had a victory that that pretty much excelled them but they got knocked back down uh so they're pretty much level in what they can do but uh, as far as what this fight happens I I, if this fight was to happen next or I'll say even if if even Julian J-Rock had a a you know uh, uh a tune up fight. I think he would do better if it was a tune up tune-up fight. If he took this fight right now, I think that uh, Jared Hurt might. I mean, he'll do great because his style matches up with Jared Hurt, but I think Jared Hurt would wear him down and probably stop him late. And I think, and it really, I think Jared Hurt is probably looking at that fight right now like, man, I can get this win back and get back on. So if I were J Rock, I'd be worried, worried that, saying, I'm, I'm going to take a tune up before I do that. So moving right right along, I think this Friday we have uh, a featherweight bout, uh, which is probably going to be an interesting and exciting bout uh, against Emmanuel Navarrete versus Joey Gonzalez. Uh, what are your thoughts on this fight? Uh, who you who you have winning this fight?
0: Yeah, it's definitely going to be an interesting fight. And I'm definitely tuning in to this one. Um, you got Emmanuel Navarrete against Joey Gonzalez. Emmanuel Navarrete, two division champ and current WBO featherweight champ, will be making a second defense against Joette Gonzalez. Gonzalez lost, I want to say, like a year and a half, two years ago against Shakur Stevenson in a one-sided bout that they had. And he's also coming off of a victory when he defeated Miguel Morata. And so I think in that victory, that was a – he showed some, some kahunas, you know, coming back fighting somebody the caliber of Marietta after that Shakur Stevenson loss, but I think in that fight, you know, it helped him regain his confidence after the loss against Shakur Stevenson. Now, Varete, on the other hand, his only loss came in his sixth professional fight, um, but he hasn't looked back since. He's coming off the destruction against world title challenger Christopher Diaz. Now, my prediction in this fight in terms of what's going to happen, I think Gonzalez is going to bring that constant pressure that he always brings. Navarrete, he wants to keep the fight you know, at a distance. Navarrete is taller and longer. Gonzalez, while on, ta- on the attack, um, he needs to make sure that his attacks are calculated because Navarrete is good at being awkward and um, against fighters that come forward. And then he, he throws punches from all different types of anger- angles. I think working on the inside for Gonzalez, it should be successful, um, but it's only if you can find a way inside that longer reach of Navarette. Um, this is going to be a good fight. I, I slightly favor uh, Navarette, but I'll definitely tune in, and you know, I look forward and I have my popcorn ready. How about yourself?
1: Yeah, this is this is a, a a good popcorn fight. It's definitely going to be an exciting one. I predict, you know. Um, I remember when I first saw Navarrete he put the beat down uh uh at 122 he was on uh, Isaac uh Nay-ho! dog bay then he took a rematch and beat up uh dog bay again so Navarrete he he used that length very very well and, and he was pretty much tall and long for that weight which was 122 at the time almost like a, a Leo Santa Cruz but once he moved up to to featherweight uh Joey Joey Gonzalez um, even though they might be the same size, I think Gonzalez is more used to fighting guys that's around that, that featherweight limit. And we saw what he did against uh, Stevenson. I mean, of course, Stevenson pretty much outboxed him and shut him out, but th- he didn't just uh, beat Gonzalez up and beat him to the pulp or anything like that. So Gonzalez is, you know, he, he, he he's still a threat to Navarrete. And I think this is going to be an interesting fight. Um, and I think Gonzalez is going to be, it's going to be some interesting exchanges and it'll be interesting to see uh how they uh, apply their styles like how Gonzalez gets on the inside of Navarrete what happens when he's there and he brings that that pressure on the inside and when Navarrete starts you know turning up the volume and start throwing those punches um it's, it's a hard fight for me to predict I, I, I want to say it's 50-50 uh, if I had to bet on somebody hmm, I think Navarrete's experience and, and, and his level of opposition is a little bit more, even though Gonzalez, uh, he has the better opponent with the Stevenson, which he lost against. I think Navarrete has better wins. Uh, and I, I want to say Navarrete, but I'm still not sure. I, I can't call it. It's 50-50 right now. But if I had to bet on it, I probably would go Navarrete.
0: Yeah. I, I, for me, I got to see like the first two rounds of these guys, like them together in the ring sharing that ring and seeing who is implementing their style more right if i can see that then i'll know who is more than likely going to be the victor but until then it's hard to really actually predict this one uh, so it's, it, but it should be a very exciting fight
1: yeah and uh, last but not least uh we have a fight that just been announced uh it's, it's gonna be on pay-per-view at the end of the year, the fourth quarter, December 5th, we have Javante Tank Davis versus Rolando Raleigh Ramirez, the highly anticipated matchup. So what are your thoughts on this, wheel? What do you see happening in this fight?
0: She playing, right? Talking about some highly anticipated. <laughs> <laughs> Funny, bro. But, yeah, you got my main man, Tank Davis, out of Baltimore, five, five-and-a-half, 67-inch reach. He has a record of 25-0 with 24 KOs going against Rolando Romero, who is 5'8". So he's going to have a height advantage, 68-inch reach. They call him Roly. His record is 14-0 with 12 KOs. Talks a lot of trash, you know. So it's going to be interesting as far as, like, pre-fight build up and all of that type of stuff, because he's one of the major league trash talkers that you have in the sport of boxing, but often the trash talk doesn't match the talent. And so that's where the problem is going to lie in this bout. This is going to be a promotional success. You know, I already see some people giving Roley, you know, a chance to, you know, beat tank, you know, I don't know who what fights that they've been watching when it comes to Raleigh or roley so that um has me baffled my prediction in this fight i would be very very surprised if this makes it to the second round i see that i see tank and the reason why i say that because a lot of times you have fights where it's a mismatch in terms of the talent between the guys but i just think Roly, he's stubborn enough to not attempt to do anything other than what he's been doing as far as trying to come in and throw wild winging shots. And that's gonna be a recipe for disaster because that's exactly what Tank wants him to do. As soon as he throws one of those wild winging shots, Tank is gonna come right down the middle. It's gonna be a nice clean KO, um, maybe a knockdown or two, or it could be just an all flat out, you know, one punch, one hitter quitter. But my prediction is first round KO by the Tank man, Tank Davis, baltimore stand up and be prepared to see this knockout you know for years to come like this gonna be one of the ones this might be knockout of the year that's the other prediction that i have for this one but again first round of over tank
1: yeah that's why i said anticipated because this fight is guaranteed it's, it's gonna end in a possible knockout of the year i would say don't you know uh get your popcorn before the, the bell rings on this one because it'll be interesting um and, and the interest the, the problem I have with, with Tank Davis, he's not a he's not a bad fighter, you know. And you know what? He doesn't even have a bad record. He's actually pretty he's a good fighter, and he has a. when you look at his resume, it's very respectable. The problem I have with him is how he's marketed, like he's just like people arguing that he's on a five pound for pound list, or he's the number one pound for pound guy, or he's this guy or that guy, and saying that he's you know head and shoulders over his peers, which is you know the the the, the lightweight other trio of you know TF Lopez, Devin Haney, and Ryan Garcia that he's so much better than them without actually having to get in the ring with them. Now he does have some interesting wins, but I just th- that's the part that that's kind of polarizing to me. but against Romero it's, it's like a, a perfect fight to make him look good. you know Romero, Uh, He's marketable. He's the guy you love to hate. You know, he walks the ring with his grimace on his face. It's funny. One of us, I think either you or Danny predicted this fight would happen. (laughs) And I know we predicted that one day he's going to walk to the ring with that grimace on his face and get knocked out. And this I didn't think it would happen this soon that we'd be seeing a a Romero knockout. But we're going to see it, you know, on December 5th. It's going to be funny to watch. It's going to be interesting. It's going to be entertaining. And you know what? I'm not even, I'm, at Romero, he may not even lose too much from this knockout. People are going to want to see him again, just to see him get knocked out and see how entertaining he is, you know? So, uh, Hey, if this is what Mayweather promotions promotion, you want to put on, uh, they did their job. I mean, I, I'll have to see what the undercard is going to look like and, and yeah, it's not one. It's from a boxing standpoint, as a boxing fan, it's not the fight I want to see. You know, I want to see Deontay Davis against a uh, Telfemo Lopez, uh, uh, Josh Taylor, or Devin Haney, or someone like that. I don't want to see a, Romero. He hasn't done anything to earn uh, earn a, a shot at the championship. At the the you know the the. This, we never know. This might be a combined uh, championship fight for 135 and 140. Romero hasn't earned anything like that. Man. He hasn't. He hasn't earned the right to even fight a, a, a Ryan Garcia yet. You know, and here he is fighting Tank Davis. So, if this is what they if this is what they asking for, like Bud Cropper said, you're gonna get what you asking for is gonna get knocked out he's gonna get what he's asking for and they made what a they're gonna get what they're asking for to get this highlight knockout and have casual fans acting like jrotha tank davis is the the second coming of mike tyson a mm-hmm.
0: couple things i am with what
1: because i don't want to take a dump on tank you know what i mean um oh no i'm not gonna take a dunk on Tate. i like you know what, I, you know what? I, let me rephrase let me, let me that i, I like I, I like tank davis i i i the problem I have with Tank Davis is the promotion behind him. I love Tank Davis. I like the way it...
0: No, I wasn't talking about you. I, I was saying in terms of what I'm about to say, I'm not trying to take a, t- a dump on Tank. That's that's what I, what I meant. And But what I mean is, is that in the culture, I mean, in the current climate of the sport of boxing, what you have is you have casual fans, and I think that that's what most people are trying to appeal to in terms of being able to push these events and get eyes and views and You know get the um numbers up so that they can you know generate the revenue that they're looking for and so as pt barnum once stated you know there's a sucker born every day if people are willing to you know invest money and time and energy into an event like that who who are you to not give them what they want so in that sense it's a win for them i just think that you know on the brink and cusp of what we just witnessed yesterday that's why yesterday's event yesterday's event was such a big event for the sport of boxing, because you had two of the top heavyweights who were willing to put it all on the line and the manner in which they did it, that's good for the sport. It generated its revenue, but it was also the best competing against the best showing heart, showing determination. And it wasn't anything, it wasn't anything fraudulent about it. This fight is more smoke and mirrors. It's just the fact that it's the three car Molly type thing, right? Where they just, you know. They suckering people in because you see, Riley with this knockout, you know, ratio that's high that he has. He has this phantom belt that he's carrying around. That who did he beat to get it? You know what I mean? And even the fact that the fight that he won to get the belt that was controversial. A lot of people didn't think he even won that fight. And then who else has he beaten? Who has he fought? You know, that's even remotely close to the level of a Tank Davis or anybody that the top level guys, of the Tank has beat it, beaten. So. It just doesn't make sense in that sense, but it makes sense because Raleigh is going to put butts in them seats even more than what it would be without him being the opponent. Because Tank is going to sell out anyway because he has power. People just want to see him knock somebody out. Raleigh is going to bring an additional group of fans to see the fight because once they start that um, those those press conferences and all that type of stuff and he gets to talking crazy and being so arrogant and really he he really thinks he's that good like to be honest with you and so you know people buy into somebody who has that type of confidence it's either they're gonna if they don't like tank they're gonna hope that he's the one that takes tank out or they are going to be so upset with him that they want to see tank do what he is going to do to him so i mean like i said i get it and if the, they're going to continue to do this, even moving forward after this, it's going to be somebody else that they're going to pick. And like, if you're a true boxing fan and you know the sport, then you're going to know that it's another one of those um, PT Barnum type shows. But at the end of the day, it's going to sell. They are gonna want to see tank knock out somebody else. And it doesn't matter who it is. The name isn't really um, as much as uh, of the importance as you know, the fact that Tank gets that KO and the way in which he gets it. Because even in that last fight that he had against Barrios, you know what I'm saying? Like, Barrios is not the upper echelon 140-pound fighter at all. Out of all the top 10 guys that's in the 140-pound division, you would favor them over Mario Barrios. But the fact that Tank moved up in weight to fight him, he had that belt. I would like to ask who did Mario Barrios beat to get his belt. You know what I mean? When I saw him fight, so I mean, it was a six and old guy, he was fighting for the interim belt, which didn't make any sense. But then it made all the sense once Tank ended up moving up to fight him. And then when you see Tank at, like being a small stature, power punching guy, it just the optics of it looked at a certain way where, you know, it looked better than what it was because you see Tank fighting this bigger guy, but the bigger guy was lacking so much of talent that you knew that it was inevitable, like the outcome of that fight so like i say man you know i'm not gonna take a dump on tank i'm not gonna take a dump on mayweather promotions because people are buying into this nonsense
1: yeah yeah but hey it could be worse we could be watching another trailer event way, <laughs> hey, hey, you know yeah but
0: the trailer stuff is not like it's not actual boxing you know what i'm saying like it's not like fighters who are like supposed to be ranked and fighting for belts and you know like the actual
1: We know that, but everybody don't know that. <laughs>
0: you know, so that's why I say you now they they doing a trailer type of um, same scheme. You know what I'm saying? What they're doing, you know, as far as this well, like we can talk about this all day. It just yeah, it, we can. It, <laughs> yeah we can. Yeah, it just gets frustrating when, you know, I would more so be okay with it. If you didn't have guys who were saying, oh, no, man, Tank should be up there in the top five, power for pile. Like, how? Like, who was he beat to be up there? Like, so, but if they would just, you know, take it for what it is, he's knocking these dudes out, and that's all it is. They just want to see Tank knock dudes out. I can understand that. But don't be trying to put him on one of those lists when he isn't fighting, like, the caliber of, of opponents that should place you on a lofty, mantle like a pound for pound list that should be for like dudes who are getting it in against top level opposition don't you know um like downgrade the sport like that like you 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 you, you're doing too much when when you're doing that um but i also wanted to say this now yeah that was me who called this out because what i knew and what i noticed is that like i said mayweather productions left the cat out the bag because at one point they said that they were not fighting any guys outside of fighters who were under the Mayweather banner. So once they said that, once I started thinking about it, I was like, well, who do they have that he could fight? And then Raleigh just had beat beaten um, Igget. And then after that, I was like, oh, okay, yeah, that's who they going to mess around and have Tank fight next. Or not even necessarily next. I didn't even think that they was going to pull this out because Raleigh only has 14 victories. But the fact that he has a belt, that's what they can promote, the fact that he's going after another title. Um, But the other thing, you know what I mean? I don't want to be too arrogant in this statement here, but I do want to say also, man, I had all of those fights predicted correctly last night, too. So, you know.
1: Yeah, shout out to you, Will, for if for, 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 <laughs> you had our prediction, yeah, yeah. Uh,
0: yeah, you know. I've been on the roll, man. I, hey. I almost like that Joshua, you know, Car it was very close there, you know what I mean, as far as the prediction, but you know, we all do a good job of breaking these things down, and that's the reason why you know people need to tune in, you know, listen up and, and, and be prepared. So if you're a betting person, then you might want to take some of our predictions into consideration. Anything else that you have before we wrap things up?
1: Uh, no, just one last comment. Uh, yeah, we just talked about the, uh, the card is going to happen to Super 5th, but if there's hope, if there's any hope in boxing, we just saw it yesterday. You know, these fights can be made, different promotions, different camps, different whoever, these fights can be made if the fighters want it, if the fighters dedicate themselves to it, the cards can happen and the fans will come.
0: Yeah, I I agree. And and on that note, what I would say is this, is that, you know, a lot of those um, circus-type fights that they are pushing and having, I think that they are going to fall by the wayside if we continue to get fights like we did yesterday. We get the Usyk Joshuas, we get the Wilder Furies, and we're getting the um, Crawford and... Um, porters, you know what I mean we get in those type of fights that fight fans are going to be clamoring for the top level guys to fight against other top level guys hopefully, you know what I mean it's kind of like the verses like once you had once people saw like the dipset versus locks and they saw the craftsmanship that they saw on that stage, it kind of alienates like people from even paying attention to like the mumble stuff they want to see people on there um giving it their all they want to see people up there who take their craft seriously and they are up there competing to be the best and not just for show and so all of that type of stuff um that glittery type stuff that gold type stuff it doesn't truly um, match substance and so if we can get that moving forward in the sport of boxing then I think we'll be in a good place and we'll get boxing back where it needs to be. You know what I mean? I think boxing should be up there with NFL and it should be up there with NBA. Like those guys who have titles, those guys on a powerful pound list, they should be looked at like that, you know, in our society. You know what I mean? But the best got have to fight the best.
1: Anything else, Bill? No, nah, nah, we get We got through this great weekend.
0: Yeah, man. I appreciate it. You know what I mean? You know, just, us doing it, you know, being a duo, like I say, next week, we'll all be back together, you know, the three amigos, um, you know, but I think we did what we had to do on that note. Uh, we'll wrap things up and I'm just going to sit back and watch these uh, Packers beat the Bengals in overtime. And y'all have a great Monday. Peace. Peace.